Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Host Nate Ryan, joined by Jeff Burton here in the NBC Sports Charlotte studios. We're talking on the Monday after what should have been the Saturday night race at Daytona National Speedway. Instead, it was the Sunday regular season finale at Daytona. I don't really want to cause PTSD here and remind you of <laughs> how much rain coverage uh, we had to do. We had to tap dance through a lot of delays, but it all worked out in the end. Thanks for being here after all that. It's fun to be here. We had the opportunity to do over 13 hours of rain feel. So, uh, I hate I hate that for the fans that went there in person, but but on the other hand, we had some cool content. We showed some old races. We showed part of the race from Saturday. We showed a lot of different stuff. So it, that part of it was a uh, that's just another opportunity to, to be involved in the sport. Yeah. So I'm not gonna complain about that. But I w- I will not lie. <laughs> when I got home last night, I was exhausted. I had had enough. Yeah, I needed a break. I, I got I got a text from Latart late last night of I think he just sent a gif of like a guy collapsing on his couch. <laughs> Uh, and I, I felt for you guys. I did not go to Daytona, but of course I was watching from afar and enthralled with all of the action in Sunday's regular season finale. As always, this turned out to be a barn burner, a lot of wrecks. I want to start with the winner, Austin Dillon. Two critical moves that he made, Jeff. The first was the one that got him through the big wreck that happened just before the red flag, and that got Austin Dillon into the lead. Austin Dillon said it was instinctive. The 99, when he kind of got turned and up in the air, I saw that, so my immediate reaction was get to to the flat because I knew he was headed up the hill. Um, you start to understand certain things of which way cars are going to, momentum is going to take cars. So he's going up the track. The next thing that's going to happen is somebody's going to get clipped and turn back left. So you're hoping that you make it far enough forward before that car comes back across the apron or my direction change is really going to hurt when I get clipped and go up the hill. So the bottom is like advantageous because you always have an out. But in the same sentence, some of the hardest hits you're going to take are when you get right reared and shot into the fence. So let's discuss that move because, I mean, it's instinctive, but at the same time, I remember you came on the podcast recently and we're talking about this, about, I think it was a Jeb Burton decision during a wreck about all the things you have to do to get through a wreck, knowing that you're probably not going to make it. Well, it is instinctive. And, and sometimes those instincts, you know, they work and sometimes they don't, you know, that every one of those drivers in that wreck were doing what just came natural to them. By far the majority of them, it didn't work out for because it, it couldn't have. Oh, you go back and watch that wreck, that wreck, and like nobody did anything wrong that could have avoided the wreck. It didn't. It's just super hard. The track gets blocked. I mean, essentially, almost the entire field was in the wreck. I mean, it was crazy. And and uh, so yeah, it, there's there is an element of luck there. There's no question about it. There's a there is instinct, but there's also just there's a time where 
he wasn't surrounded by anybody. There wasn't anything going flying by him. Like there wasn't something that just inadvertently got him. That part of it is the luck part. Right. The part that's not luck is when it is a decision to be made and you make the right one. But anytime you get through a, a – when you're in the middle of a big wreck at Daytona and Talladega and you get through it, every one of those, there's an element of luck involved. Is what Austin says there – does that make sense that it does maybe just be natural to just go to the bottom, go to the apron, go to the flat? Did you approach it that so way? So, you know, all you can do is look at what's happening in front of you and respond to it. I mean, the two cards that I thought were that close to making it through was uh, Harrison and Ty Dillon. They were – inches away they were on the bottom the track was it was early in the wreck the track was clearing to the top and uh the track was wet so ty spun and they were both on the bottom and then harrison's behind him on the apron and they both made contact and that made the way for the next guy had an opportunity was was austin harvick had an opportunity and the cold just closed up and you know but if you go back and watch that big glob of cars none of those guys had a shot none of those guys had a shot to me, it was Harvick, Austin, Ty, and uh, and Harrison. Those were the four that had a possibility, and only one made it through. Yeah, and it looked like Harvick, from what I could glean from the video, it looked like he kind of hit the gas. And he did, he, yeah. He looked like he was going to get through, and then boom, <laughs> the cars just went like this. Yeah, there's a whole go, you know, and that's yeah. and that's the thing that I think that um, it was really cool watching that because from being a driver, I know there's times when you're in a wreck that you have to accelerate. Right. You have to go against your instinct and accelerate. If it doesn't work, now you're going to hit them harder than you were going to hit them. But that was his only shot, and he did accelerate, and then it just – it reminded me of um, – I've had a, the, the good fortune to, to to fly in the front seat of a lot of airplanes, and there's clouds that you don't like to fly through clouds if you don't have to because you don't know what's in them. And sometimes the clouds just – you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and they say you know you're in them. Yeah. And that thing just closed up so quickly, and it's just – there's nothing he could have done. There's nothing at all. So, as I mentioned, and you did mention that the track was wet, and we're going to get to that eventually, but <laughs> first I want to handle everything that happened around the, the Dillon win. <laughs> so, the second move, I said two critical moves by Austin Dillon. That move got him in the lead. Then the red flag comes, almost a four-hour delay. They restart the race with Austin Dillon in the lead. On the restart, he actually gets passed by Austin Sindrick, yep. who ends up leading the next 13 laps, and before... Austin Dillon's able to pass him with three to go. Uh, he makes this maneuver, Jeff, in which he gets to him, and then in turn one, he makes kind of light contact. Austin said, It just kind of happened. Um, I was kind of planning on getting a bigger run than that before and um, pulling out to the right, and I figured that the two was going to be a sitting duck because they were going to go with me, the Chevys would, um, and then we'd race it out from there. But he just kind of got loose as I got to his back bumper that time into into one, and I'd kind of been giving him that same shove I don't know if I just caught him with a little more momentum that lap than the others, but when he got free, I just kind of moved up the track. So I don't want to say this was controversial, but it was kind of different from what we normally see with a pass for the lead at Daytona. It being, you know, it wasn't a bump and run like a short yeah. track, but it, it yeah. sort of looked like that a little. So I and I want so let me back up one second. Yeah. So I thought there was actually three moments. I want to add one to it. So on the restart, you mentioned he had the lead and got passed. Yeah. He fell back to like fourth. Right, right. And then he got down the back straightaway. They got a run. The The 77 car uh, was behind him with Landon Castle driving it. And I believe that Kyle Busch may have been behind him. He pushed the 77. The 77 pushed the three. And then when Austin got 
cleared himself of the guys on the outside, he had a decision to make when he got to uh, when he got to Martin Truex Jr. and he instinctively just jumped to the outside and was able to clear him and then get himself to second. So that move, that ability to get that momentum down the back and then get himself to second ultimately led to him being able to uh, to take the lead away. And then you could see him start to pull back, you know, trying to slow down, slow down to get some momentum. Austin Cindric said in his post-race interview, he was watching that happen and he was trying to drag the brake and do everything he could to get back to them to not let them get momentum on him, but he could, wasn't able to do it. And then it's hard for me to say that Austin <laughs> Dillon intentionally <laughs> pushed him out of the way because how much pushing do we see at Daytona? Right, all the way around. Yeah, much. so I'd like to <laughs> yeah. think – it's hard for me to imagine that Austin knew he could push him – and get him loose and drive around him on the outside without pushing him and spinning in front of him and taking him out also. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I don't I don't know I don't know that Austin intentionally did that. Right. I can't say that he didn't because there's so much on the line. But it's hard it it's um yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. I don't know I know he meant to hit him. But we see people hit, hit people all the time at Daytona Talladega. Talladega. It's not like it's like you said. It's not like a bump and run at other racetracks. Right. I don't know how you would have known what the outcome was going to be by pushing a guy into turn one. That's what stood out to me. And again, a- after hearing what Austin said, he described it the way you did. That it wasn't like he meant to give him that shove. That's just what he'd been doing the whole time. And he just sort of slipped free of him and, and went up the track. And Austin Sindrick said that I got hit by another race car going 100. And- 90, 200 miles an hour. Um, glad I saved it. Glad I had a shot to come back through the field. But um, he's racing for a playoff spot. I totally expect to get drove through. It's just kind of a matter of time. But pretty bummed, you know. I mean, we had a shot to win today. Um, May Tech Menard's Ford Mustang was, was obviously quick. We put ourselves in position, not a scratch on it. Just, um, <laughs> dang it. I mean, he knew. So he's pretty sure he did it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, Austin Sindrick took it pretty well, right? Because he's a Ford with three Chevys behind him. I was surprised it took as long as it did, essentially, right? I mean, they, they waited until three to go, and they could have done it any time of four or five laps. I think with ten to go, they were lined up behind him. Uh, Richard Childress, we played him on the radio saying, wait to the last lap, wait to the last lap. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't wait to the last lap. You got If you get that run, you got to take it. And that's what, again, that's what's interesting to me is that I'm not for a minute saying that Austin didn't get in the back of Cindric trying to mess him up. I'm not saying that. I just don't know that's what happened. He could have taken that run and jumped to the outside of him, got the guys behind him. He's pretty sure they would have gone with him. Yeah. But, you know, I, who knows, man. It's just racing with a, the damn whole season <laughs> on the line. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're three to go at Daytona, and literally it's your whole season. I mean that's crazy. Do you think about it like that? I didn't. I, I I never really. I wouldn't say I didn't get in that situation, but I you know every playoff that we do and the end of regular season that we do. Now that I'm on the other side of the fence, I'm just fascinated by what drivers, teams can do. You know, I just it's fascinating to me. And then the the results of that effort. You know, if you're Cindric, you're pissed off. If you're Dylan, you're dancing in victory lane and you got life and you now have made the playoffs and that matters like that matters not only for today it matters for tomorrow because you're now a playoff team and that's a tremendous amount of selling power for sponsorship for your place in the sport as a driver it's 
It's really important. It's very powerful. Yeah, and certainly for Richard Childress and Richard Childress Racing, which now has two cars in the playoffs with Tyler Reddick, Austin Dillon. RC said it after the race. It was it was a million-dollar move, literally. Literally, that car getting in the playoffs, he said, means it's a seven-figure difference in if Austin Dillon doesn't make the playoffs. I wonder if, wonder if RC went and hugged um, Tyler Reddick after. <laughs> Well, it's funny you bring that up because that was the <laughs> next thing I wanted to talk about was the fact that Austin Dillon had Tyler Reddick riding shotgun all the way to the finish. Tyler Reddick was the good teammate. He pushed Austin Dillon all the way. He said he never intended to get out of line. Fortunately, I was able to make the right moves at the right time uh, to get close. You know, me and Noah being right there behind behind Austin. And then when Austin made his move on the two, it, it was kind of perfect timing for me to get around Noah and the two both and then get to his back bumper and make sure that uh, anyone coming for the three is going to have to wreck the eight. <laughs> so that was what Tyler Reddick said. Yeah. Uh, what, when they, what was the, uh, the the roller skating thing? when they? Oh, roller derby. Roller he was, derby. Yeah, was he was blocker, like the right? blocker. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good way to look at it. I hadn't thought about that. So the other thing is that, you know, that says to me that Tyler Reddick has the wherewithal and the self-awareness that I, even though I'm leaving Richard Childress Racing, I drive for Richard Childress Racing. And the respect that he showed on Sunday to help RCR get another car in the playoffs is a sign of his character. Now, I know that Richard is upset because he's leaving. That's not a character flaw. It's not a character flaw to make a decision that you think is in your best interest for your career. That's not a character fault. You can have a disagreement about it, but it doesn't mean you're a bad person. And Richard's not a bad person either. I know Richard really well. Richard's a really good person, but feelings get hurt. And moments like that is a good reminder that Tyler Reddick understands his place. Tyler Reddick respects RCR. And Richard now, after all that's happened, can now look at Tyler Reddick in a different light. And I think that's good for the future of Tyler Reddick's success, assuming something crazy doesn't happen and he doesn't leave at the end of this year. That goes a long way to helping that team. So a lot of things happen for RCR on Sunday afternoon, not just Austin Dillon winning that race, in my opinion. And you, I've said to you before, I think Richard Childress, the best thing he can do for his company is – put as much effort as he can into that eight car to win as many races as he can between now and the time Tyler Reddick leaves because all that Richard Childress is doing is recruiting the next driver, the next crew chief, the next tire changers, the next sponsors, all that stuff. That's what he's doing with that eight car. And you know how you do that, right? You win with it. Yep. And I think a lot happened on Sunday that was a really positive very, very positive for RCR. No, it's a really good point with Tyler Reddick slated the leave for 2311 racing in the 2024 season. That clearly, and as you note, surely that was recognized by Richard Childress that he has not forgotten that, hey, I'm in the Cup Series because Richard Childress Racing gave me that ride after I went to this team and won the Xfinity Series Championship in 2019. RC is the guy who put me in the eight car in 2020, and that's why he's going to 2311 racing. So it meant a lot to Richard. I want to get your take on one more thing on that, Jeff. It meant a lot to Austin Dillon as well. He, Austin Dillon had this really interesting quote after the race in the media center. When Tyler made his decision a couple months ago, I called him and congratulated him. And for me, uh, being a 
owner's son sometimes comes with caveats and I wanted to make sure that I had nothing to do with the reasons that, that he was leaving. And, uh, when I called him, I was like, Hey man, I'm just making sure I've been a good teammate to you. And he was like, no, you've been an amazing teammate. I love working with you, Austin. I love, uh, me and Alexa both really enjoy being around you guys. And I'm like, well, look, man, congratulations on your deal. Let's, let's go try and win some races for RCR of the next year and a half. And, um, for me, I was in none of his negotiations, talks or anything. So it, it was more like he, he's been, you know, in a way inspirational to me to pick up my game because he's got so much speed and he shows it constantly. So not only is this really good, I think you're right for the company, but the relationship between these drivers, not that we question it, but obviously it's solid. It's important. Austin is aware. He has self-awareness too, that with being Richard Childress' grandson, it's a different ball game. And, and he always has to fight, and Richard always has to fight the perception of favoritism, the perception of those things. And Joe Gibbs will have to fight it with, with his grandson. It's just, it's natural. People are always, oh, he's getting this, he's getting that. And they've got to go, they got to double down to show people that we're not showing favoritism. And if you are making decisions, it's because it is in the best interest of that car not that driver because he's my grandson. Difficult decisions have to be made, and and you just have to make sure when you're making them, you're making them for the right reason. It's not for family. I don't think Richard Childress is cut from that cloth. I think Richard Childress is willing to sit down with Austin and saying and have the co tough conversations with him. I think Joe Gibbs is willing to sit down with his grandson, have the tough conversations with. Him. I don't think there's, but but you got to go actually above and beyond because yeah. all those people in the shop. Unless you're working on that specific team, everyone else, which is by far the majority of people, they have to know that everybody's got the same shot or you or it will erode. It will erode and it won't work long term. And also important, I think, that with Tyler Reddick having two wins this year, Dylan now has one. I think probably maybe a little bit more belief in the number three Chevrolet. The way that Austin Dillon won this race, this was his fourth cup win. But I think it's fair to say the other three had a few question marks. I mean, the Coca-Cola 600 was a mileage win. He won the Daytona 500. And I don't want to take anything away from that, but he essentially knocked Amarola out of the way on the final lap to do it. And then he won Texas a couple years ago on strategy. So Austin Dillon was asked about Pockers Fox Sports. Is there any extra satisfaction to winning it? If if, you had, if they had called it, it would have been a little bit controversial yes. win. Is there any extra satisfaction to winning it kind of straight up? For sure. I've got four wins in the cup series. Each one of them mean something different to me for different reasons. Um, but you know, the Texas one where I had multiple restarts and had to win and cross the checkered flag was probably one of, from the driver's standpoint, one of the most important wins to me. And then now this one too, is to go through all that and to be able to be, I guess, clutch in a moment that mattered is, is important. I mean, to us in all sports, right. It's to, to deliver when you've got the opportunity to deliver. And this year I've had some moments that were very close, Charlotte being one of them. I mean, I didn't sleep a lick after the 600, just knowing that we had put ourselves in a position with a tire advantage. I made a heck of a move and everybody's like, man, that move was amazing, blah, blah, blah. I, I mean, I, I thought that I kind of gave that away in the turn three because I overdrove it. Um, and I got loose and it hadn't done that the whole race, but I was carrying a lot more speed than I had the whole race. So that one hurt me and it kept me up a lot in time. So, and I've always kind of prided myself is, is to, to finish races when I have the opportunity. And, 
today it feels good to, to finish it off. This win and what it means for Austin Dillon's career, Jeff, not just the fact that he was able to regain the lead, as you detailed, like after losing it on the restart and essentially put things back to where they were before the red flag, but also just kind of seizing that moment and showing like, hey, I can win in the Cup Series. I can do this. So it is important. The interesting thing about Austin is he won a truck championship. He won a championship. championship. He's won the Daytona 500. He's won the Coke 600. Coke 400, Coke Zero 400, fair amount of prestigious <laughs> events. Some pretty big pressure situations, which again, I don't want to take anything away, but at the same time, people are, are going to raise those points. He's not yeah. had, he's not had uh, the success that some other people have had. Yeah. He's also, I mean, I, I'm not so sure that their equipment is as good as Hendrick Motorsports either. So, you know what I mean? So, it's, you're always going to be judged. The, the, the kids grandkids, siblings of people in this sport are judged differently than others. It's just how it is. I was judged differently because I raced with Ward. Jeb is judged differently differently because his dad raced. Austin is judged differently because his granddad owns the race car. How many times have you heard people say Ty Gibbs only has his ride because of his <laughs> grandfather? Well, no right. crap. That's the only reason he has his ride. But the reason he's kept his ride is because he's succeeded. Right, <laughs> right, right. I mean, right. you know what I'm saying? So, right. so. Guess what? Kyle Petty got his ride because <laughs> of his grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Dale Earnhardt got a ride because of his dad. Go through the Hall of Fame list. Allison's. Go through it and look. There's a lot of people that can't, that did this and had success because of their parents were in it first. And they have to do it on their own. And so Austin's going to be judged because his grandfather owns a race team. And he drives a three-car. He drives a three-car, and those two things collectively put a tremendous amount of spotlight on him. And yeah. and he has not performed the way Tyler Reddick this year has outperformed Austin. Last year they were pretty pretty close, but this year he's outperformed him. Can Austin Dillon be the anchor driver? Can he be the anchor driver? That's the question. Or will you will Richard Childress need to bring in someone? that has as much talent as Tyler Reddick to help carry that team. That's the pressure on Austin Dillon. And it's not without a tremendous amount on the line. And Austin feel there's no way Austin doesn't feel that pressure. He works his ass off. I know he's got a great work ethic. He's won he's won races, he's won championships. He's under he's underappreciated in my opinion. I'm not saying he's Jimmy Johnson, but he's underappreciated. Listen, I never won a Daytona five hundred. So a lot of people I know hadn't won a Daytona 500. There, I, I never won an Xfinity championship. I never won a track championship. He must be pretty damn good. Fair point. And uh, I think you're right. I think nepotism obviously comes into play when it comes to racing and guys getting rides, but the genetics have to come into play to actually do well eventually. I mean, Richard Petty gets a ride because he's Lee Petty's son, but that's not got the reason he won list. seven championships. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy Baker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's a long list. It's a very, very long list. So Austin Dillon steps up to win this race, Jeff, but he wasn't the only guy who was outside the playoffs, came into this race needing a win and stepped up. Eric Jones led 22 laps. We saw Justin Haley at the front. It was a gamble by the team, but he kept it up there for eight laps afterward. He took a shot. Michael McDowell, Bubba Wallace, Chris Buescher, they all led laps. Harrison Burton was also at the front. It was it good to see, I guess, when everything was on the line, that it matters for these guys that they do step up? Yeah, I, lo I love to see step-up moments. And if you go back and you look at – one way I like to look at races and determine who ran well is you look at stage finishes. 
And if you look at the average finishes of, sta of, of the stages, you had a lot of guys that had step-up moments, and they brought, in my opinion, their best on that day. And Eric, Eric Jones, he was out there driving his ass off, and yep. he had his hands full. And you could see he had his hands full, but he's like, I got it. Like, you know, and he was just committed to doing whatever he had to do. I thought – and you just mentioned it, nepotism. I thought Harrison <laughs> – Harrison, yeah. had, he had a he yeah. had a really good day. He was, he was in there mixing it up all day long. Made a lot of aggressive moves to get himself there. Came from the back a couple to three times. Came from the back. He had a strong day. Justin Haley, you mentioned him. He got up there and he stayed up there. So I thought a lot of drivers that were in difficult situations they brought their best, and that's great experience for them. Now, it's not as good of experience as it was for Austin Dillon. But it's great experience for them, and I think it's something that their teams can look at and say, okay, we collectively came into this event with the deck, with the deck stacked, stacked against us with a tremendous amount of line, and we put ourselves in position. I think, that's, I think that's empowering for teams that didn't make the playoffs. Because you got well, – this week, when you go to Darlington, and I don't – has Martin Truex ever experienced this? It's been eight years. It's been eight years since he's been out of the playoffs. It's going to be a You are shock. forgotten. <laughs> yeah. We're not talking about you anymore. Sorry. And there's no other way to say this, but, I mean, Gibbs is going to shift resources. They have to. They have to if they're going to be the smart about they it. Gotta right? take, they got to take anything that they can do, pit crews, that kind of stuff, anything they can do. If, you, if there's something that they learned and they don't have time to implement it on every car, it's going on those three. And by the way, if somebody doesn't make it through the first round, they get pushed aside too. It's <laughs> right. just how it is. Right. And you don't, I don't blame a team for it's doing that. It's a smart that. play. There's millions at risk. Yeah, yeah. When I was a driver and I got in that situation, one way or the other, I completely understood. When I could, I'm sitting there saying, I need this. I expect this. And then when it was the other way around and they came to me and said, hey, you got to give this. Hey, man, got it. Like, you got to do what you got to do. And we should have made the playoffs. It's, it happens every day. It happens every day in every shop. The team that runs the best gets the most help because that's when we – a decision has to be made, right? What allocation of resources are we going to put toward whatever it is? They don't have endless amount of money. And when you put resources to a Kevin Harvick and a Rodney Childers and they deliver results, where are the resources going? And then it puts pressure on the other teams to say, hey, we can do this for these guys and they deliver. And how do you, y'all got to find a way to do it. Happens every day. Those decisions get made every single day in every shop across, across all the racing, not just, not just cup racing. Every race and it has teammates. Yeah. And like you said, those guys who came to Daytona and took their shot, that showed the team they've got something to work for maybe in that vein in the future. So, uh, as I mentioned, two critical moves by Austin Dillon, two critical calls for NASCAR. We'll start with the good one. I want to give them credit. They waited out this delay, as we mentioned, after the race got postponed from Saturday night. The race ended, I thought, as it should. Though the winner remained the same, it did impact the grid. You know, Truex would have gotten in if they call it on lap 139 as opposed to Blaney. So I thought the competitive integrity was done a service here by ensuring that the race finished. 100%. And I think that, listen, if, this, if that race would have started at Sunday night at 4 o'clock and we raced for an hour and a half, and then we waited a three-hour rain to lay out, and we're not going to start again until 11.30 or midnight or something. Maybe the same decision's not made if it's on a Sunday night. But you had you had a Sunday, right? Yeah. yeah. You started the race at 10 o'clock, which gave you this tremendous window to keep digging. And I think they 100%, especially being able to look at the weather. And by the way, <laughs> 
you know, I'm up there with them. I mean, they're right. in the booth right next to me. And when we have these long red flag periods or pre-race or post-race, we hang out together. Like, we go and talk, and they come over, and, you know, they have a full meteorologist. They have access to the National Weather Service. They have cool, They have incredible radars. Like, they were working their guts out to this make sure. This is all sure. the NASCAR officials have Correct. access to all of that in their booth. And so when they look, and they're like, this front gets through the way we think it's going to get through, we've got a big window opening. Then they're going to wait it out. If that weather report would have been, it's going to rain for the next six hours, and it could rain after that too, the same decision wouldn't have been made. Right. They had all that information. They took that information, and they said, okay, we got a shot. We're going to take it. We're saying it's going to happen. So we're going to sit here for three hours, and then we're going to have to come back and say, uh, we shouldn't have done it. But we owe it to the fans for them to see this race in under, under a checkered. And I, that's 100% the right call. The same call would be right if the weather didn't look like that and they said, hey, we're done. There's no way we're going to get this done. That would have been okay too. So the other big call that made or maybe didn't get made, of course, was the big 13-car pileup that happened right before the red flag for the rain. I just want to bring this up, Jeff, because it's the third time in two years that this has affected a race. We had Kevin Harvick at Texas in 2020 had what might have been a race-winning car, hit a damp spot on the track when it was missed, and he crashed. Last year at New Hampshire, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin all crash when the track's wet and NASCAR was a little late on throwing a yellow. I'm a w unaware of any changes that have been made in the tower or around the track since New Hampshire last year, but it seems like, I don't know what can be done, but it seems like NASCAR has to do something to be a little more proactive because I understand that you know there's only so much you can do in terms of a two and a half mile racetrack and if it's raining in turn one it's not in turn four but at the same time when you got all these drivers saying hey this this was happening this is affecting us it impacted too many cars yesterday unfortunately. So I agree with you that clearly the result was wrong. Clearly they drove into turn one and the track was wet and it was raining. I do not compare what happened at Daytona to what happened at New Hampshire because what happened in New Hampshire was there was a lot of information that the, it was raining and the raining, rain was getting harder and a decision wasn't made as quick as it should have been made. I don't think that's the case this time. Now, there's a video of a fan in the stand saying it's raining, it's raining. I've seen it. But I also have seen no in-car camera views that showed it raining so i've been to, and people aren't gonna believe me when i say this i've been to daytona before in the old cup garage remember those oh yeah and i'm standing on the turn one in the turn one side of the garage and it's raining on the turn four side of the garage and i'm talking about a garage that's like two cars go together like this right, right. on this side it's not florida weather and man. it did that for about <laughs> three to five minutes there were little sprinkles over here, but it's raining here. I, I don't know, other than NASCAR saying rain's coming, we're going to throw the caution. In this case, I don't know with the technology that's available to them today that something could have been done different, other than what I just said. The problem I got with other than what I just said is that if they throw the caution because rain is coming and chase elliott is leading the race what does everybody say 
it opens yourself up to a pretty big pile of conspiracy theories <laughs> being tossed out there and favoritism and all that. Yeah, I get it. So we've the sport, the industry, NASCAR has got to find a way to not let what happened Sunday happen again. There's no, in my world, there's no if ands, or buts about that. But with every bit of information that I have, I don't know how they would have thrown the caution before they threw it. In this case. This case is not the same as the case in New Hampshire. I vaguely remember the, the Kevin Harvick. I remember it, but I don't remember it in full. That doesn't, all my opinion is, is my opinion, but it doesn't change the fact that there was a massive wreck in turn one because it was raining, period, end of story. So what do we got to do to keep that from happening again? In my opinion on Sunday, the only way to do that would have been throw the caution before it started raining on the racetrack. Because I don't believe it was raining on the racetrack on the racetrack until they got there. So what do you do? You put a spotter. Where did the NASCAR spotters go? Like it wasn't the, the, the pace car is somewhere between pit exit and turn one on the infield of the racetrack. Wasn't raining there. Yeah. No, I get so, it. I get it. It's a huge place. And I mean, there's so much at stake. And it wasn't raining off turn two either. Right. That was the other strange thing. It literally <laughs> right. rained. It literally rained in this 100 yard, I'm making it up, 100 yard section. It literally, that's where it rained. It didn't rain in front of it or after it. When they were approaching yeah. turn one, it was not raining. It didn't start raining until they got there. From every in car camera view we saw, and we even had spotters saying, Hey, it's starting to pick up. Keep digging. Keep digging. It wasn't raining enough for them to say, hey, man, it's freaking raining. You need to slow down. You need to slow down. We didn't hear that. So, uh, it's, it, 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 it's, they wrecked. Yeah. They wrecked. It was raining, and they wrecked. So, what do we do to fix it? It's a difficult conversation to have because the reason, I agree with you, they got to address it. I, I want them to fix it. But the reason I want them to fix it is also the reason they shouldn't throw the yellow. That's because there's so much at stake that you don't want them to presumptively or preemptively throw the yellow and have it impact the playoffs. <laughs> so, like, I get, like, they're in, like, this is the ultimate rock in a hard place situation in some ways, especially dealing with unpredictable Florida weather and the size of this racetrack. I just, I think that they're going to have to say, here's how we're going to attempt to address this or fix this, but maybe with the the understanding that, as you're saying, there's there's only so much we, we can actually do, we can really well, do. The conversations are, are underway about, okay, what's the next step? And, you know, I know they're underway, as, as they should be. Like, what is the next step? Are there sensors? Are there, how sensitive do you make the sensors? How, huh. <laughs> I know these are things I really don't want to I mean, dive too down at, the rabbit well, hole. Well, I've stood. So here's what even makes it more difficult. I've stood at racetracks before with my son racing in a late model or a K&N car or a truck. Hell, we were at Martinsville. I think it was pretty sure it was Martinsville, and I'm getting wet, and they're racing like hell, and nobody like it's. And I'm like, they got to throw the car, and they just no spin wise fun. Nobody had any problem. I don't know. Like, how do you put, other than if you get any moisture at all, you got to throw the caution. Other than that, I don't know, man. It's just a complicated thing. There's just been so many times we raced when there was moisture in the air, even a little bit of rain. 
other than just saying, okay, we're going to put some sensors out there, and if we get any moisture at all, we're dropping the caution, I don't know. Yeah. It's just... I mean, to your point, I remember a race that Denny Hamlin won at Martinsville in 2008 when it was a mist for three hours, and you guys... You were in that race. You you just got through it. Like it didn't I affect. Should have won it. The way I <laughs> it didn't affect the I track enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, you probably should have won. That I have no recollection of that yeah. race, but <laughs> I know I should have won. You should remember every race that's held in Virginia that's a Cup race. Just uh. kidding. All right. Well, this. Oh wait, hold on a minute. Now we had a caution. <laughs> we had a caution, and then there was controversy about how the cars get lined up. <laughs> yeah. You want to comment? We on have that? to comment. I mean, we can't just gloss <laughs> over this. <laughs> Have at it, man. I, I know that you got some feedback on this, so have well, at so it. So I don't – I understand a race fan at home. We have a lot of rules, and they're confusing. Racing's more complicated than people realize. It's not just cars going in circles. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, they're confusing. Football's confusing, too. I, hell, I don't understand half of that. When, <laughs> when the caution comes out and you can't maintain speed, they don't take a snapshot picture <laughs> of you. And you're sitting stopped in the racetrack or going slow on the racetrack and people keeping maintaining reasonable speed and they put that guy back in front of you. That's not how this works. Right. So you use loop data, you go to the latest loop, but if you if you can't maintain pace, then you lose that spot and you blend in wherever it is that you blend in. And I don't know why drivers and teams don't know that rule. I think it's got confused because in their heads, that was the finish of the race. And they were thinking that caution locked the race in because it was over. It froze the field. NASCAR's going to look at video and determine where everybody was at the time of caution. But that it was does, caution. It was, yeah. It was a caution. Right. It wasn't the start-finish line. If, right. you, if you go across checkered, the start-finish line at the end of the race, and that's absolute. checkered. That's absolute. That's black wherever, and white. Wherever you are. Yeah, that's absolute. That's black and white. The caution, to your point, is reasonable speed. And it's not reasonable speed for, like, sorry to the four car. It's not reasonable speed for, like, 30 feet, and then you stop when you hit two cars. It's reasonable speed. If, the, if, the, three car, if the three car would have had to slow down, grind right. his brakes, slow down, the four comes out ahead of the three, the four can maintain pace, even with a wrecked race car, the four is the leader. Right. I won Darlington with a car that was wrecked. I rain same damn thing. Yeah. It started raining. They didn't get the caution thrown in time. I'm leading the race. Big wreck off turn four. I plow into the wall. Plack. I mean, it's destroyed. I'm stood in the gas, kept that thing going, maintained pace. Got to the pace car, was able to stay behind the pace car. I won the race. If I would have pounded the wall and could not have maintained pace, I wouldn't have won the race. That was 1999 or it something? It was 1999. Darlington Spring Race 99. Nothing's changed. Right. <laughs> right. The loop data is the loop data. But nothing's changed in regard to maintaining pace. And... I just think that people got in their head that this was the end of the race. So you're going to lock me in wherever I am. And, but that's not how it works. And so there's not a conspiracy theory against <laughs> Kevin Harvey. was not a conspiracy theory to get Richard Childress the three car in victory lane. <laughs> it was the rule. Yeah. It was the rule. Yeah. And oh, by the way, when they restarted the race, the four was out and none of it really ended up mattering. It just was something well, to talk about for a few but hours. But that doesn't even matter yeah. to me. You there, should just there, know the rules. There was no controversy. If the, they never would have got going back green, 
There was no controversy. The only controversy is if people don't know the rule. Well, that's not a controversy. That's not understanding what happened. Controversy is two drivers driving in the corner and they crash each other and one guy comes out and you're like, well, he wrecked me, he wrecked me. Controversy is NASCAR changing the policy. Controversy is throwing the caution before it rains. So I just I'm, – I'm, I should know better than look at social media. <laughs> I'm looking at social media and I'm getting all this, but Jeff, my guy, but Jeff, my guy, but Jeff, my guy. And I'm like – so that – and so – I applaud Scott Miller for coming over during our broadcast live. Here's how Here's this works. And, and the one thing he said that I didn't, that I thought muddied it up a little bit, it doesn't matter if you're in the wreck. Even if Austin Dillon hadn't have hit anything, and he came in there and he had to slow down to keep from hitting something, and somebody else <laughs> crashed up against the wall and comes out in front of him and they're able to maintain pace, that crashed car is still the leader as long as right. he can maintain pace. Right. wasn't about being in the wreck or not. It's about being able to maintain pace. All of that will be uh, written into Daytona lore, certainly another memorable race. <laughs> and, and you'll remember it. Yeah, and that brings us to a quote today about Daytona. It's our Motor Mouths of the Race presented by eBay Motors. This is a new feature in which we talk about a notable quote from the race. This one was from Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon was asked, Peter Strada, TSJ Sports. Austin, in 2019, you were leading this race, and then the big wreck happened that ultimately gave Justin Haley the win. Just how full circle is the moment now? Three years later, you got the win <laughs> because of a big wreck, also in turn one. You know, it's, that's actually very funny about Daytona, and I didn't even think about that, but I've always thought about, you know, I tore down the fence, probably one of the worst wrecks in NASCAR history, come back, win the Daytona 500. 2019, I did feel about as confident as you could feel out front leading that pack. And it's cool how this place just, I don't know, there's something about Daytona. And when you pull through the tunnel, things just happen here. It's it's exciting place and um, always creates some kind of drama for sure. You've been going to Daytona for a very long time. What's your take on the World Center of Racing, its place in NASCAR history? I mean, it really is. People talk about Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but as you just heard Austin Dillon say, when you go through the tunnel at Daytona, it's that similar sort of feeling. It's, it's um, you know, to me, Daytona and Darlington are the, you know, they're the two hallmarks of NASCAR. And what makes Daytona so crazy, unlike Darlington, is that anything can happen. You know, Darlington, if you look at the list of winners, it's it's almost a Hall of Fame. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And Daytona offers much more opportunity for strange things to happen. And it's just, you know, ever since the restrictor plate or the reduction in speed, however it is you do that, it's a new ball game. It's changed it's changed the world in regard to super speedway racing. And then Daytona being, you know, the birthplace of NASCAR, it just it just adds to the folklore. It just adds to the history, and anything can happen. And it's uh, and it's real. We say that every time we go there, but it's real. There's so many people that could win that race on Sunday that it was all real. And we're not going to have that many people this Sunday at Darlington that could could say that. It's just super speedway racing is bizarre. It's just bizarre. Always memorable. That was our Motor Mouse of the Race presented by eBay Motors. At eBay Motors, you can be your own pit crew with 122 million parts right at your fingertips. Get the right parts at the right prices. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. Okay, so uh, you've got to do NASCAR American Motor Mouse right here at this very desk. So before John Barnes yells at me, I better get us out of here. But We're just not worried about him. Re re real quick, you brought up Darlington. We just left Daytona. Darlington next to open the playoffs. 
How wide open are these playoffs? Chase Elliott's got 40 playoff points in first. Kyle Larson's in second with 25. But then you and I were talking for the show. Austin Dillon's in 16th with five. 20 points separating second from 16th. So it feels like these are pretty wide open. It's really wide open. And then you, you look at the, the three racetracks you're getting ready to go to. Southern 500, Kansas, and Bristol. Kansas is super wide, run all over the racetrack. Bristol is Bristol. Southern 500 is Southern 500. You better bring your A game. When you wake up Saturday morning and you're rolling through the gates at, at Darlington, you better be ready to go. Because if you're not, they're going to hand your ass back to you. <laughs> and that racetrack will do that too. And so you start right off the bat with perhaps the hardest racetrack there in the roll board, the two hardest racetracks in my eyes on the circuit. And you start race one of the playoffs, Southern 500. Go get you some. All gets started Sunday on NASCAR and NBC. Jeff, thanks for being Thank here. Thank you, buddy. Enjoy it. We appreciate Jeff Burton for joining us after a long weekend of rain and racing at Daytona International Speedway. Always great having the mayor's perspective on all things NASCAR. Thanks as well to senior producer John Barnes and motorsports manager Emily Conboy for coordinating Jeff Burton's appearance on the NASCAR on NBC podcast. As you heard, we taped this on camera just before NASCAR America Motor Mouths, which is on every Monday and Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern on Peacock. And you can see the video version of the NASCAR on NBC podcast on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. Subscribe if you visit. Lots of great bonus content, highlights, features, and interviews from NASCAR, as well as IndyCar, IMSA, Supercross, MotoGP, Monster Jam, all on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. Check it out. The NASCAR Cup Series playoffs will start this Sunday at Darlington Raceway, and pre-race coverage will begin Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. Check out NBCSports.com NASCAR for detailed schedules, start times, and coverage, as always. Also, a brief note, the NASCAR NBC podcast will be on hiatus the next couple of weeks, Labor Day holiday next week, and then the week after that, I will be on location in California covering the IndyCar series season finale. So I will return with the NASCAR NBC podcast after Bristol Motor Speedway, so stay tuned for that. And if you have any NASCAR NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my name. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.